Well, good morning again. It's good to see everybody. Uh, glad you're able to be here with us today. Uh, today, we are beginning a new series. So for the course of the summer months, we've been looking at this idea of who is God. And so we've been talking about uh, various things from a theological perspective that the scriptures describe in regard to who God is and how he operates in our lives. And today we're starting a new series, and for the coming weeks, we're going to be looking through the book of Romans. Now, I'll tell you this as we go through the book of Romans. Uh, I have some friends that when they have preached through the book of Romans, because the content is so deep and the content is so rich, I know people that have taken years to preach through this single book, and I'm sure that they did justice to the content of this book, uh, because there really is enough content to keep you going for years. But we're not going to look at the book quite that way. Uh, so there may be a variety of things that we look at, but there's also things that I'd encourage you just on your own to follow up on, because you can, you can take even just a sentence in the book of Romans and spend a half hour to an hour just studying the, the riches and the depths of the theological depth that, that goes into almost every statement that you read in this book. But we're going to spend a group of weeks studying the book of Romans, really a group of months studying it. And we're going to be talking about the fact that we are alive in Christ. We have this new life in Christ. But today, specifically, we're going to be talking about the fact that we're not ashamed of Jesus. We're going to look at some reasons that this chapter gives, the first half of Romans chapter 1, that answer the question, why I'm not ashamed of Christ. So if you would take your Bibles and open up to Romans chapter 1, uh, if you're using the Bibles that are there in the seats in front of you, it'll be on page 939. But in Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 1, this is what it states. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ." To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it 
the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to read it together today and study it, and by your grace to grow from it. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look at these portions of Scripture today from your word, that you'd help us to understand it, that you'd help us to grow in our walk with you, and that our knowledge of you would be deepened so that our love for you and our love for one another would would likewise grow. So we commit this time of study to you now, Lord, and we're grateful for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So since we're going to be spending a group of weeks looking through the book of Romans, I wanted to give us a little bit of background on this book right from the start because I think it's helpful to understand the context in which something was written when you're taking the time to study it in detail. The book of Romans is a fascinating book. The Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write this book right around the year A.D. 57, while he was still in the city of Corinth, and he was nearing the end of his third missionary journey, and now at that point he was preparing to travel to Jerusalem. And when you look at some of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, uh, they were letters typically, in many cases, written to churches that Paul had planted. But Paul did not plant the church at Rome. And at the time of, of writing here, he hadn't even been able to personally visit them. In fact, Paul speaks of having been prevented from visiting them up to this point. So if you were Paul, or if you were doing something similar to what Paul was doing, what would you say to a church that you longed to visit, but for now could only teach and encourage from a distance? Do you suppose that you might actually go into greater detail in the kind of letter that you wrote to them than you might for a church that you knew that you'd have the opportunity to regularly speak in front of and interact with, with some regularity? I imagine that's some of what went into the Apostle Paul's writing here. He has a lot of details that he includes in this letter so that he can encourage this church that he's interacting with from afar. Now, when you read through the book of Romans, it quickly becomes clear that the Apostle Paul was attempting to help the believers in the church of Rome come to a thorough understanding of sound doctrine. He wanted them to have sound doctrine in their minds, in their hearts, lived out in their lives. He wanted them to be able to understand the deeper details about our faith so that their love for one another would grow because you have people from two different backgrounds that are uh, making this church up. The church is about half Jewish and half Gentile, and now they're coming together under the banner of Jesus Christ, and Paul's trying to teach them, listen, people, you got to get along. I know that you have different backgrounds, but you now share a common belief in Jesus Christ. you got to get along. And he wanted them to also have an, a deeper appreciation for the work that Christ has accomplished on our behalf. He wanted both of those aspects to be strengthened. So in this book, when you look through the book of Romans, you have Paul sharing about the righteousness of God, the sinfulness of man, our need to trust in Jesus Christ, the justification that we experience by grace through faith in Jesus, the fact that sin no longer needs to have mastery over us, God's calling on our lives, our new life in Christ in general, uh, the ways in which we have been gifted by God, uh, what it means to serve God and others as a living sacrifice, and also how we can overcome evil without being overcome by it. And I think that these are powerful and critical issues to try and understand. So as we take time to take a look at these things as we're going through this book, what I'm praying for is that our, our appreciation for our salvation and our new life in Jesus Christ would develop and grow and mature. 
We don't need to be ashamed of Jesus. We can be joyful. We can be grateful for who He is and for what He does on our behalf. And as we look at this first part of Romans chapter 1, it illustrates that fact to us. It gives us a glimpse of what it looks like for our faith in Christ to deepen. And again, it reminds us that we don't need to be ashamed of Jesus Christ, and it gives us a variety of reasons for that. And one of the reasons it gives to us is this. He has made us new people with a new purpose. Let me reread a few of these verses here. This is from verse 1 and a few of the verses afterward. You have the Apostle Paul saying, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who is descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now let me pause there for just a second. So during the course of our lives, there are questions of a deeper nature that we wrestle with. And I think for starters, we wrestle with the concept of our identity. We're trying to figure out who are we, right? We want to know the answer to the question, who am I? And I think a related question that we tend to wrestle with is also, what is my purpose? And I imagine somewhere over the course of your life, you've asked yourself those questions. Who am I? And what is my purpose? And I think that these are valid questions. Because the way that we answer them, it's going to have a huge impact on the way we navigate our lives. And so in his introduction to this letter that I just reread for us, you have Paul speaking to these questions, and he helps us understand the answers from God's perspective. Those who belong to Christ Jesus should think of themselves the same way the Apostle Paul illustrated in this introduction. And he begins this introduction by describing himself How? What does he say? What's his description here? He called himself a servant of Christ Jesus. A servant of Christ Jesus. Now, I'm assuming that for most people in this world, the idea of being a servant wouldn't automatically be appealing. But this is something that we as believers should consider a privilege. Consider for just a moment uh, the people in this world that have been a major blessing in your life. So think of your childhood, think of even this season now. There are people that you could list over the course of your life that have been a major blessing to you. And most often, when you think about the people that have blessed you most, most typically what we tend to discover about them or notice as a pattern is that they tend to be people who have displayed a servant's heart to us. Right? They've displayed a servant's heart to us. And we love them for it. They've served us joyfully. They've blessed us in countless ways. And likewise, when you look at Christ, when He came to this earth, what did He do? He didn't come to be served, but to serve. He sacrificially served us first. And now it's our privilege to follow His example. It's our privilege to dedicate our lives to be used to serving Him. In effect, this answers our question, by the way, of identity and purpose. So who are we and what's our purpose? Well, we are servants who joyfully serve the one who served us first. 
That's who we are and what we do. We are servants who joyfully serve the one who served us first. I love what it tells us in Matthew chapter 20. When you look at the second half of verse 26 down to verse 28, it says this, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man, so that's a a nickname Jesus would use for Himself. He says, even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. That's the pattern that Christ has established for us. That's the mindset He invites us to adopt. Now consider for a second the ways in which the Lord had enabled the Apostle Paul to serve. At one time in his life, think about this, by the way, when you consider how much of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul, pretty large chunk of the New Testament was written by him. But at one time in his life, Paul hated Jesus. He wasn't just ambivalent toward Christ. He wasn't just like, ah, Christ, I could take him or leave him. He hated Jesus. But then the Scripture tells us that Jesus revealed himself to Paul, and Paul transitioned from hating Jesus to loving Jesus. And Paul dedicated his life to making the gospel of Christ known to others. And Paul helped others to see that while Jesus walked among them as a man for a short season, he was also the Son of God. And Paul helped others to understand that the resurrection of Christ demonstrated this to be true. And we're told in this passage that Christ blessed Paul. So here in Romans chapter 1 in the opening verses, it tells us that that Christ had blessed Paul with the privilege to serve as an apostle meaning that he was one who had been set apart by the Lord for the purpose of being sent to lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, is this demonstration, so when you look at this and what the Lord was doing in Paul's life, is this demonstration of the Lord's grace in Paul's life limited just to him? Or is this the kind of work that the Lord desires to do in your life and my life as well? Well, I think as we continue our study of this book, we'll come to realize that through faith in Jesus Christ, we too become new people with a new purpose. Our lives are no longer being lived for ourselves. Our lives are no longer being lived for the vanity of worldly pleasures. Our greatest joy becomes glorifying Christ and serving Him with sincerity. We're new people with a new purpose, and Christ has initiated that in our lives. So we don't need to be ashamed of Him. Something else the Scripture brings out that I want to point out as far as you know, why we don't need to be ashamed of Christ is this. He's shaping the affections of our heart. He's shaping the affections of our heart. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 9 down to verse 12. Paul says it this way. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Let's pause there for a sec. So, I'm not ashamed of Jesus because He's made me a new man with a new purpose. And I'm also not ashamed of Him because He is in the process, through the work of the Holy Spirit, of shaping the affections of my heart. He's teaching me what to value. He's teaching me what to prioritize. He's helping me to understand what actually matters in this world. He's showing me where my time and where my energy should be spent. And when you look at this portion of Scripture, and when you look at the context of Paul's life, 
Paul was someone who genuinely wanted to spend some time with the church at Rome talking about these things. And he tells us in this chapter that he prayed for them. And he, and, and he did that regularly, right? This wasn't just an occasional thing when he thought of it. This was part of his daily pattern to pray for this church. And he longed to visit with them. I remember when I was in college, my wife and I, she was obviously not my wife then, uh, but she was my girlfriend. And my girlfriend worked seven hours away from where I worked. So guess how many times we would see each other in the summer? About three. And it would break my heart every time I couldn't see her. I remember I, you know, when I would drive away from her home, she lived in Fredonia, New York, and I'd have a short visit with her, and then I'd be driving back uh, to where I worked, and she lived up there. Uh, I would see the signs for Fredonia as I was going away, because I'd look in in my rearview mirror, and I'd say, it's Fredonia, one mile this way. It's like, yeah, I know, I just came from there. Fredonia, three miles this way. I know, I just came from there. I need to stop looking at these signs, and I'd torture myself. But I remember at that time becoming absolutely convinced, like, I must marry her, because I can't stand when she's that far away. It would drive me crazy. I, I longed to be with her in a way that I don't remember ever experiencing before. And when I look at what the Apostle Paul says here about this idea of a longing to be with the church at Rome, I don't think he's using that term flipping, flippantly, right? I think he's using that term to say, like, it breaks my heart that I can't get to you guys. I hear about you all the time, and I can't get there. I keep trying, and I keep being prevented over and over and over again. He wanted to be there. He wanted to be able to see them. He wanted to be able to be used of God to strengthen that young church in their faith while also being mutually encouraged by their growing faith. So he wanted this to be something that was kind of mutual in regard to growth. This is so different from how the Apostle Paul once thought his life was going to be spent. He did not think that this is what he was going to be doing. In fact, when you look earlier in the book of Acts, the book of Acts reveals something quite interesting about the Apostle Paul's life before he came to faith in Christ. During that early season of his life, he was a prominent persecutor of the church. He persecuted the church. So when Paul was traveling during those days, he had a commission. He had a job that was given to him. And it was a a job to go and imprison those who trusted in Jesus Christ. And we're also told he gave hearty approval to when they were executed. In fact, in the book of Acts, it tells us of a time where Stephen, an early church leader, was being stoned. And so that people could wind up and and throw better stones at, at Stephen, Paul held their coats for them. And he gave hearty approval to seeing Stephen executed because of his faith in Christ. But then Christ transformed Paul's thinking. Christ transformed his perspective, transformed his mission, began shaping the affections of Paul's heart. And I like what it tells us in Acts 26. This is after Paul comes to faith in Jesus Christ, and it's toward the end of his life, and he gives testimony to the transformation that the Lord had done within him. But in Acts chapter 26, you have Paul saying this. He said, I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. That was his old life. That was the purpose for which he once lived. And Christ changed that. Now Paul's understanding of his purpose had been completely transformed. It had been completely changed. 
His new desire still involved traveling. He still liked to travel. By the way, anyone like to travel? Anyone not like to travel? I'm kind of in the I don't really like to travel. Langhorn's nice enough. I've seen all I need to see. This is good enough. It's like, I like it here. It's as far as I need to go. It's funny, like if you ever want to hear me whine, hang out with me two days before I know I have to travel someplace. I've grown really good at whining. I'm 42 years old and haven't given up that habit yet. Paul apparently loved to travel. He traveled before he came to know Christ, but now after coming to faith in Christ, his new desire still involved traveling to different places, but his goal had become to offer these people freedom through faith in Christ and to remind them never to be shackled by the the chains of sin and temptation that once tried to, to drag them down and imprison them. He once sought to make men prisoners, and now he himself was regularly imprisoned while trying to help people become free. Isn't that irony? Amazing irony. And yet he was content in the whole experience. Why such a drastic change? Why did this all change like this? Well, because Christ was now shaping the affections of Paul's heart. And maybe you've noticed Christ accomplishing that same purpose in your heart as well. Have you noticed that that process that he brings you through? Scripture makes a comment where it says that the Lord delights to give us the desires of our hearts. And you know what I've discovered about the Lord? Before he gives us the desires of our hearts, he shapes our desires so that they're in line with his will. And so as he does that, we start to want the things that he wants. I, I can certainly say, just from personal experience, that I've noticed him do this over the course of my life. I remember spending the early years of my relationship with him trying to resist his calling on my life, particularly to serve in the role that I have the privilege to serve in now. I had zero desire to be a pastor. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. I'm not exaggerating for effect. I really did have zero desire to serve as a pastor. I didn't want to do it. And the people in my life were encouraging me to do it, and I did not want to do it. And in fact, I tried my hardest not to do it. And then over time, I watched as the Lord allowed me to have certain experiences that began helping me to see you would really love doing that. And, and, you know, it's kind of like, and I'll even put a congregation in your life someday that will laugh at your jokes. You know, thank you, by the way, for doing that. But it was funny. I, I really did not want to go in that direction. And now if the Lord asked me to stop, him asking me to stop would break my heart. So, so what does that mean? That wasn't a natural change. That was something that supernaturally the Lord was helping me to value what He was valuing. And He was saying, listen, this is what I want you to do. So give up your hang-ups and just do what I've called you to do. And I've had peace in following the, the unction that He put in my life. But He changed the affections of my heart. He changed the direction. He even changed you know, the, the vocational plans I was making. Changed it all and I don't regret it. I delight in it. I'm grateful for it. And I'll say this just as a general statement for all of us. As your faith in Christ continues to mature, I suspect you'll notice him doing the same exact thing for you. And in fact, some of you could testify that that's exactly what you've been seeing him do in your life as well. Because what does he do? He shapes the affections of our heart to bring those affections in line with his will. And we start to feel a, a, a genuine tug in our heart to serve Him, sometimes in very specific ways. 
And then what happens when we say yes to him instead of telling him no for the course? Can you imagine spending your whole life telling God no? Do you know that's what many people do? Spend their whole life telling God no, and then they wonder, why don't I have any peace? It's like, well, you're, you're spending your whole life defying what God desires for you, and yet you expect to have peace? But yet when we finally get to that point where we say yes to the Lord, we experience joy, we experience peace as we submit ourselves to His will. And as He continues to transform our hearts, one of the things that you notice as a byproduct is yet again, we're not ashamed to testify to the work that He's doing within us. And that was something that the Apostle Paul was experiencing. That was something that the Apostle Paul was noticing, and that was something that the Apostle Paul was testifying to. But I want to give us a third reason why I think we don't need to be ashamed of Jesus Christ, and that's this. He blesses us with His power. Christ blesses us with His power. Look at Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So when Paul shared the gospel with others in, his gen, gen, uh, in that generation, there was a genuine possibility that he was going to be harmed, that he was going to be shunned, or that he was going to be imprisoned for doing so. And during his life, he experienced all three. And in the end, he was actually eventually beheaded because of his unwavering testimony of Jesus Christ. He was unwilling to stop testifying about Christ wherever the Lord gave him an open door to do so. And yet with these very real concerns and with these very real daily pressures, he still wasn't ashamed to make the gospel known in that generation and in that culture. And Paul described the gospel this way in these verses. He describes it this way. He says, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. What an amazing gift that is, right? Through faith in Christ, we experience the power and the presence of God in our lives. Through His power, we're saved. It's also through His power that we're sustained every single day. Now, if you look closely at your life right now, I think you'll be able to identify a glaring area where you need to access the power of God. It's there. And I think it's useful to probably try and take a moment to identify it. Lord, where do I need your power? Where do I need your intervention? You know, maybe you have a friendship that's become strained. Well, God can give you the power to forgive that, that person. If they're the offending party, He can give you the power to forgive them and maybe the strength even to make the first move toward reconciling that, rec that relationship. So you're not just waiting around your entire life for them to reconcile it. Maybe you're the one that the Lord gives the strength to make the first move to reconciling it. How about this? Maybe right now you've been feeling defeated by the recurrence of, of an area of temptation that seems to keep getting the best of you. So do you think it's God's will that you spend the rest of your life feeling defeated by that area of temptation that you've been giving in up to this point? Or do you think that the power of God is available to you who call on the name of Jesus Christ to help you defeat that area of sin or temptation in your life? The power of God is available. 
He gives us His power to walk away from temptation and to replace the dependency that we've developed on unhealthy things with a deeper trust in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. This is part of what it means when we're talking about the power of God at work in us in regard to our salvation. He doesn't just rescue us and then leave us to rely on our own strength. He grants us His strength in the midst of every context that we live in. The same God who uses His power to save you is the same God who gives you access to His power while He sustains you. He is faithful to His children without fail, and He's rooting for you. Now, I recognize that, and I'll say this as we finish up today, I recognize that we live in a time when Christ isn't exactly embraced by every single person we know, And it can be tempting, I think, at times to feel ashamed to be associated with Christ if you're on the receiving end of some mockery, meaning none of us really like being mocked or insulted or reviled. And the deeper your walk with Christ grows, the more your faith matures, the stronger your faith becomes, the more open you're probably going to become about your faith and the more you set yourself up to be on the receiving end of that mockery. But truthfully... We don't need to be ashamed of Christ. You know, when you look at these opening verses to this this letter that the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Rome, he's emphasizing things that we are now new people with a new purpose. We don't need to be ashamed of that. We can rejoice in that truth because it's a work that God's accomplishing. He's emphasizing the fact that the Lord's shaping the desires of our hearts. And we, again, see that in Paul's life. He once desired to visit Christians to imprison and have them killed. And now he was longing to visit them because he wanted to impart more information about Christ to them and likewise be mutually encouraged by their faith. The affections of his heart had changed. Christ accomplished that in his life. And likewise, we don't need to be ashamed of Christ because he's the one blessing us with his power. He's at work in your life, if you trust in Him, accomplishing great and mighty things with His power and not calling you to live your life in reliance on your natural strength. Our natural strength can only take us so far. And in the end, if we only rely on our strength, we'll be disappointed because we have limits and He doesn't have the limits that we have. And He gives us the strength that we need in the midst of the context that He places us in. In Him, we find joy. In Him we find peace, and through Him we can experience new life that cannot be snuffed out by the pressures of this world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You for the privilege that it is to be able to read Your Word together today and to glorify Your name in the process. We're grateful, Lord, for the fact that you allow us to come together in moments like this, that we can sing songs of praise to you, that we can worship you in our study of your word, and that by your grace that we could take something from this time that we learn to apply to our day-to-day lives. Lord, we need your help. We need your strength. And you remind us in your word that in no context do we need to be ashamed of you, that we, we don't need to be ashamed of your gospel. So, Lord, thank you for fostering within us a new mind and a new heart. Thank you for blessing us with a new life. Lord, you know the hearts of every one of us in this room, and we pray, Father, that if there's anyone here who at this point has tried to live life at a distance from you, that today would be the day that they are reconciled to you. Lord, we pray that if there be anyone with us today, 
that as of yet has not received your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior, and has not yet received the gift of the forgiveness of sin that you offer through faith in Jesus, we pray, Lord, that today would be the day that they would simply accept that as a gift. We don't have to earn that, Lord. We don't have to deserve that. So we're grateful that you supply it as a gift. And we're grateful, Lord, for your presence with us today and always. We commit ourselves to you now, Lord, and we pray that by your grace that you'd enable us to walk with you faithfully. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.